It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Manchester is Red podcast from the Manchester Evening News. I'm your host, Rich Fay, and I'm joined once again by Samuel Luckhurst. Hello, Rich. And by Tyrone Marshall. Good afternoon, Rich. And we're recording this one, our third podcast of the week. We started with the rise of the ESL. We had a midweek gap for the break and the collapse of the ESL. And now on Friday afternoon, we're recording this after Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's press conference ahead of the match against Leeds United this weekend. But Samuel, you were at the press conference virtually. Football was not really on the agenda, was it? No, and it was it was never going to be. We, uh, I mean, we, we all wondered beforehand how United might go about handling this and they they gave it a decent well not a decent go but they they tried to manage it at least anyway in the the first question was predictably about it Solskjaer addressed that very eloquently said the Super League was a bad idea he bemoaned the timing of it uh, essentially because fans aren't allowed inside stadiums he, he effectively felt that was quite crass and I think a lot of people everybody agree with him probably does agree with him on that it was probably the longest response he's ever, he's ever given to a question in a press conference and it was probably the best he's actually sounded he he didn't put a foot wrong and then the press officer after him decides to say okay now let's move on to the Leeds game and it was over to PLP asking about the Leeds game and when United won 6-2 in December and then the next question bizarrely was about Oscar's upbringing in in Norway uh, I, I spoke to the the lad who actually asked the question who's as we we all know him, he's he is a very very good journalist. But he just said he was trying to ask about the Super League in a roundabout way, and I think he's now just kind of regretting it because it, it just sounded so incongruous. Um, unfortunately, they did actually get round to to myself. I was able to ask a question. Andy Mitten was able to ask about ask a question. Simon Stone from the BBC, Paul Hurst from the Times, and. Um, pair from from tv2 people who had their hands raised or wanted to ask a question were not were not given that that opportunity and it's a bit strange at the moment because there's been so much fan unity this week yet there's a minority um, an online minority who seem to abhor interrogative questioning of um, of the united manager and and his working relationship with with the glazer family and i i you know, felt duty bound really on behalf of paying United supporters to ask him about the status of, of the Glazer family's ownership, given the utter contempt they've had for United fans over the last 16 years and in particular over the last week. And Solskjaer, I was not expecting him to come out and say, you know, brandish your love United, hate Glazer sticker or start chanting it or anything like that. And he is rather compromised, but of course, because those fans, those 20 fans at Carrington confronted him and, and as, as we wrote yesterday, uh, had a, an amicable discussion with Solskjaer um, in the presence of Michael Carrick, Darren Fletcher and, and Emmanuel Matic as well. Uh, but what, what was said, which is public, is out there that you know, Solskjaer said that Joel Glazer loves the club, was was that exactly what he said? And there are some fans that just don't want to believe that. And then they'll start using the word agenda and nonsense like that. And I think the thing you find when when you bother to actually have a look at these replies, which isn't very often, is that football supporters who use the word agenda don't actually know what the word agenda means. Apparently, we've all had an agenda against David 
De Gea. It's, it's, you know, the, the reason why he's in the first team is, is all down to the MEN champion in Dean Henderson. It's not been anything to do with De Gea's form over the last couple of years or anything like that whatsoever. So um, I suppose we should just be more like the Glazers in that sense, just be tone deaf to these online crazies who, you know, they, they probably wanted us to ask about Anthony Marshall's fitness or when Phil Jones might be back. But frankly, that it was a semi-interesting press conference. Oscar, I thought, conducted himself very well. And it wasn't particularly incendiary either. I mean, it's United are fortunate that they can manage it quite easily. I mean, we've all noticed that when you are muted to ask your question, and one, as soon as you finish asking your question, you're very quickly muted again. So these Zoom calls, they always have an element of control over them. Whereas obviously, if you're at Carrington, if you're in person, you can have follow-ups you can it, it can feel a bit more back and forth but we've not been able to do that for quite some time yeah i guess in a week where footballing decisions haven't been at the forefront anyway you can't really complain about them not being questions about the, f- the football itself at a press conference but ty interesting like we said we, we, this, these podcasts have been sort of bookended between that uh, protest at carrington on thursday maybe for any fans who didn't see it there were 20 fans who got there before the players, uh, most of the players had arrived for training. It, maybe a bit of divide on social media about the intentions behind it, but do you think that they had every right to do so? Yeah, I mean, if you're going to, the point of a protest is to make as much, to get as much publicity for it as possible. And while what has happened is evidently not Solskjaer or the players' fault, it got a lot of publicity. And that is a point of a protest. There's no point doing a protest in a vacuum. There's no point sending Joel Glazer an angry email when it's going to have absolutely no impact. So, you know, if you go into protest, then what you need is publicity. And that's what it got. And I think, you know, there's talk of a protest ahead of the Liverpool game. There'd be absolutely no surprise if there's protests in the stadium next year. And, you know, while Solskjaer and the players, when it comes around to that, might not enjoy that atmosphere and might not particularly like that, the fact is that that is the best way to, to make your feelings clear. And that's the whole point of a protest, really, that it, it needs... It needs a visibility and it needs to to create headlines and, and try and make life uncomfortable for the Glazers. We've seen there, you know, they've got a heart of stone, really, and I don't think they'll, they'll pay much attention to it. But, you know, sending off, firing off angry emails isn't going to work in, in this situation. So, you know, Solskjaer, I think it, it's not right that he's dragged into it. He might think it's, it, it's not, you know, and he's right that it's not his fault. It's not the player's fault. But the fact is the, the, the first team is, is the best way to, to make a protest. It, it's the manager and the players that are most visible. It's the games that are most visible, and, and that's where protests are going to take place. Yeah, Ty, I was going to ask you that almost as a follow-up question myself. And, and obviously, you know, someone like Solskjaer is always going to be collateral in this, and because he is, he is the visible sort of face of Manchester United to most of the fans, and you know, he he's the person who has to ultimately speak to the media tra- twice a week. But Ty, in your opinion, what is the most effective way? You know, if United fans do really want change, and you know, it seems like a, a big percentage of them do obviously we can't speak on behalf of every single united fan but the majority seem to to want that change uh, top level what do you think the most effective way of doing so actually is <sighs> blimey um i don't know i mean in truth it is very very difficult to to enact change and, and to force change protests are the best way there's always talk of boycotts but the unfortunate thing with a club as big as man united is if if you give up your seat then Someone else who's got no interest in getting the Glazers out will take it. And that's an even worse scenario, really. And, you know, the, the fans who left for FC United always got a lot, lot of criticism. But, you know, arguably, they, those are the fans that, that deserve the most credit because it takes a hell, of a, lot of, a hell of a lot of steel and dignity to walk away from your football club because you don't like what's going on. 
the unfortunate thing is that those seats were filled and if more work walk away now those seats will be filled as well and the glazers will be delighted because it'll be filled with people who've got no interest in complaining against them so i'm not sure boycotts work i think it's just about making as much noise as you possibly can targeting sponsors and, and things like that at the end of the day, sponsors of clubs sponsor them because they get a good publicity out of it. If they can then get good publicity by siding with protesters, then that's the route they'll take. So it's always worth, I think, you know, protesters and, and things like that. I think, that, you know, at the risk of moving the conversation on, I think the fascinating thing is what comes next after the Glazers. You know, this this talk of fan ownership and, and one of those banners yesterday said 50 plus one and, and that's been a big thing for the government this year. I mean, that ship sailed 30 years ago in English football. It's just not possible. United is up for sale now. It'll be three and a half, four billion pound. If you want fan ownership of that, I mean, have United Old Trafford season ticket holders going to raise two billion pound? It's just not going to happen. If the government try and force it through, they'll have to pay half the value of those clubs. Even the top six, you're looking at ten billion pound. It's just not going to happen. Fan ownership is a pipe dream. And if the Glazers do go and sell, I can't see if they sold Man United for three and a half billion, four billion pound. A Salford lad done well is not buying that club. You know, Fred Doan is not buying Man United for that sort of money. The only the only thing that's going to happen if Man United sold for that money is more bad news. You're talking Saudi Arabia, you've got their own obvious pitfalls, or a private equity firm who, to be honest, would probably make the Glazers look like a decent set of blokes. Private equity are, are absolutely ruthless. And if they put United in the Super League because they thought it would make them money, they'd leave them there. So I think the argument is what comes next. And it needs some kind of legislation change i think fan ownership is a pipe dream but getting fan representation on boards and some kind of balance and checks yeah. needs to be done but i just can't see a scenario where a football club is sold for three and a half million pound it's not going to end up in good hands no exactly you hit the nail on the head that tie that all there needs to be that sort of middle ground between the wishful thinking and that pipe dream instead of fan ownership and actually getting some fan representation on board samuel i guess that if we throw it to you as well you'll you'll agree with most of the points which which time made there yes Unfortunately, because of the sheer cost of taking over the ownership for Manchester United, it, it is a pipe dream. We've seen the Red Knights re-emerge some like 11 years after they tried to be the catalyst for change during the Green and Gold movement, which was a truly captivating movement. It was, it was flawed, but it, it certainly captured the imagination. It was impressive. It was worldwide. But the, the Glazers rode it out. And, and in fairness to the Glazers, when it was going on, it actually jolted them they started coming to games more frequently um they, they wanted to have a presence there they wanted to show that they could ride that period out and they managed to do that so as i said the other day if in, in an ordinary circumstances their ownership would feel untenable after a, a defeat like this but it's just not that easy when united are still worth hell of a lot of money and i know there are various issues i mean the, the shirt sponsorship is with with team vision to team vision or team viewer I, I i struggle to remember from time to time is 17 million pounds down on the chevrolet deal that's expiring in the summer they've, they've they're in the market for a new training ground sponsor a training kit sponsor they've not got the clout that they once had and that's a symptom of them not being as successful in the last eight years as they were under Sir Alex Ferguson and I think that quote that Woodward uttered a few years ago about playing performance not having any meaning, meaningful impact on the commercial side it's, it's been you know it's not aged particularly well particularly because of the pandemic which is always going to make money tighter uh, for, for companies and, and brands and sponsorship deals aren't going to be as lucrative as they once were so you know Jim Radcliffe is a name that always gets mentioned just because of the sheer wealth of him, but he 
and he's obviously the owner of Nice. And I think his United allegiance has been a little bit overplayed. I think as far as I understand it, he's been more of a Chelsea man in recent years because he's just mixing those circles. But because he's from Oldham and because he says that he was a boyhood United fan, I think that would obviously please a lot of United supporters. But I think something like that is a long, long way off from happening. And given the stuff with... Um, Saudi Arabia and Mohammed bin Salman, bin Salman uh, the, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, and his involvement in the the, the, the butchering of uh, the, the former Washington Post journalist Khashoggi in, in 2018, declassified uh, reports said that he he, had, he you know he was involved in that. That that's that is worse than the Glazers. However, way you look at it, as, as bad as the Glazers are, you don't want some murdering overlord coming in uh, with his bloodied ha- getting his bloodied hands on Manchester United. Yeah, exactly. But as you've both mentioned there, that the alternatives aren't necessarily always going to be a better ownership. But obviously, there's there's obvious flaws of the way United are, are run now. And like like I said, one of the, one of the few things you can do as a fan is to keep that that up. If that's the way that you feel, then you know that's that's what we've got to do. And you've got to make your make your voice heard. Another way which you can make your voice your voice heard, and this is a nice segue, is there's a uh, Reach PLC uh, nationwide survey at the moment in the wake of the ESL collapse, our clubs, our future. That's on the Manchester Evening News website as well as all the other regional titles across reach. And it's yeah, basically a fan survey where you're asked a range of questions about the state of modern football, particularly you know, after this week. And we've seen not just of the ESL, but we saw Ilkay Gundogan, the Man City midfielder, tweet on Thursday night saying, what about the Euro for Champions League reforms? They were the lesser of two evils, but they're still not a good idea. And yeah, the, the survey covers all that, covers the Champions League reforms, the European Super League, what you think the main issues are in football, ticket prices, kickoff times, poor leadership and governance, no football on terrestrial TV. There's a, there's a lot of issues and different sort of categories you can go into and discuss what the, what the next issues need to be tackled really are. And of course, we've always had the reoccurring, disgusting and vile, intolerable racism situation, which, you know, is still rife within football. And they're talking about social media boycotts and social media blackouts to, to tackle that. But we've seen this week just what power can be had when you have that unity and everyone pushing in the right direction. There's certainly a more than a sense of hypocrisy of the way that racism and football and diversity in the game is still going unanswered really and untackled and there's no real long-term solution in the pipeline for that is you know we seem to be going around in circles of that but Ty I'm sure maybe you've looked at this survey yourself and this week particularly if it's maybe given us one positive it is that there's a re- rekindled sense of power to the people and that change can still be enforced. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what's what's important to come from it and what should be something that comes from it is football fans realising that we're far stronger collectively. You know, even on, I mean, social media makes the world such a binary world. You're either for or against something, you're yes or you're no. And there's so much whataboutery about that even on Monday when this is happening, you know, Ander Herrera speaks against it and everyone's going, oh, well, he's employed by Qatar, he takes Qatar's wages. Gary Neville speaks out about it and it's, well, he's employed by Sky Sports. Of course, he say, would say that. City fans speak out about it and it's, well, Abu Dhabi, you all started this. You know, Football fans are far stronger collectively and this should have proven to us that, you know, to, to take three Northwest clubs that are involved in this, City United and Liverpool as an example, the fans of those three clubs have got far more in common with each other than they have with the people that own them and make the decisions about them. And I think it's, it's clear that, you know, it's perfectly fine to go to City United or United Liverpool of a weekend and give each other stick within reason and exchange a few digs within reason. But on a Monday, we, we should all remember that 
football fans have, have got a collective voice and the game is being ripped away from us, not just with this, but with ticket prices, TV times, trains for FA Cup fixtures, semi-finals, the timing of the final, everything. You know, football supporters are the last people that have, that have thought about when these things happen. And this is showing that fans have got a collective voice. And I think that's something that, that needs to be harnessed rather than going back within a week to petty squabbles and, and bitter wars on Twitter that actually football fans have got far more in common with each other than they have with the Glazers or the Americans in charge of Liverpool that, you know, the fans need to stick together and campaign on the same issues because if they do that and we've seen how strong their voice is, then maybe some things will get changed. Yeah, exactly. And Samuel, while we're talking about this, our club's Our Future survey, which, like we said, you can access on the Manchester News website. It was Solskjaer's press conference today. He said, you know, United and Leeds fans actually have quite a bit in common. Obviously, he wants that healthy rivalry and... You know, Solskjaer has a man for nostalgia himself and he's looking back at past clashes between the two sides. But this week has really hit home that message, hasn't it? That together football fans still can make a difference, even though that on their own, maybe one voice isn't heard loud enough. If you group them together, you really can push for change. Absolutely. And just from a professional perspective, it's you know, I've felt an immense sense of pride working for the Manchester Evening News this week and our coverage of the Super League. It's rise and very swift fall and the, the pieces we've done, the stories we've got, just how, how we've gone gone after the Glazers, gone after United as a club. Um, I don't think the Manchester Evening News has always had that backbone. Well, it, it certainly hasn't had that backbone in the past in terms of you know, the editorial or, or, or the, the writers that were overseeing coverage of United, but the, the world has changed and you, you can't be so supine as... Uh, as outlets were in the past, so it, as I, as I said, it's it's yeah, it's it really has been a, a proud week actually. You know, being involved with all this coverage, and I think that was reflected by uh, the fans groups coming to us to um, announce their plans for the protest ahead of the Liverpool game next week. That's a reflection of the work the MEN has done over the last five days. How I mean, it feels like it's been a lifetime, but it has only just been five days, this whole Super League fiasco. And I've, I've said it already this week, this can't be the end of the protesting. It has to be the start of it. And I don't think that these fans really needed telling that anyway because they have mobilised. You saw the United supporters at Carrington. I was I, I was appalled that some people were referring to them as so-called fans. I mean, you're not going to get me to condone them breaching security at, at a site where trespassers are forbidden. But the fact that they went to such extreme lengths to protest as effectively as they did shows that they're staunch supporters of their club and they care more than those idiots, frankly, on Twitter who are saying they're so-called fans and those people are just out of touch. They, they don't understand the true football supporter and it has been heartening to see United fans and fans of other clubs mobilise as they have done over the last week and to, to show that United front. I mean, if this was still rumbling on, say United and every, all these other teams were still in the Super League, it really wouldn't surprise me if Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher were walking down some Matt Busby way arm in arm next week protesting against it. Maybe they still will. You know, as I said, this this protest is happening next week. You'd imagine that Neville will certainly be at Old Trafford for the game. Carragher too, given that you have those um, certain games where there are two co-commentators. So it will be interesting to see how it unfolds next week. And you know, the details are on the MEN. There's, there've been calls for it to be a socially distanced protest as well, a peaceful protest. So 
United have United fans have that democratic right, and that absolutely has to be championed. Yeah, of course. I guess that is the message which we can push. You know that if if that is how you believe, then you can you can get your voice across as, as this week showed in a in a sensible manner and in a respectful manner to, to the club. And that's one way of doing it before that Liverpool game. Ty, there is still football going on, believe it or not. United versus Leeds this weekend, quite a tasty game as well to look forward to. Solskjaer did try to rekindle some of that nostalgia in his presser today. But he also said that, you know, it's not going to be another game like the one earlier in the season where United won 6-2. He re-emphasised that that wasn't, a, that. So he said it wasn't scoreline that reflected the performance really. He said United were very clinical. De Gea made some big saves. He expects a much closer encounter this weekend. Liverpool, you know, experienced themselves earlier this week, but... Leeds can really be a force still, and you know they've beaten City as well this season. What are you expecting from the clash at Ellen Road? Uh, I think probably another hugely entertaining game. I mean, Soscar is right that Leeds could probably have scored five that day, but United could probably have scored eight as well. There was there was so many chances, and he referenced the two early goals, but it did feel like tactically United had their number then. And having had a full week to prepare for for the fixture this time around, you wonder whether that'll be the same again. There were certain things they did whether. Daniel James will start, will be interesting. It felt like he was very much a horses for courses selection that day. We saw McTominay sort of runs from midfield and how United picked apart Leeds' man-marking system. So it did feel like tactically United got it spot on that day. And although the two early goals certainly helped and Leeds could have scored more, United could have scored more as well. And I would expect another open and entertaining game, really. And it's going to feel weird going back to writing about football. It's hard to believe that the Burnley game was only five days ago and that United's first free midweek this season has probably been busier than any of the weeks they've actually played a, a game in midweek so it is going to feel strange it, it, it's another big game really obviously City's win at Villa has made it harder still to, to win the title but what United don't want to do they've, they've surrendered the initiative once already and they've got to make City work for it now and, and that involves going to Leeds getting the win and, and closing that gap to eight points and, and putting the ball back in City's court. You sound a bit like Kevin Keegan there Ty saying you've got to go up there and get a result but you know, it has to happen, doesn't it? United need to keep that pressure on. And although those those title chances might be very slim, you've still got to, to keep them alive, haven't you? And the importance is of getting an actual result this weekend and, and keeping that pressure on City, particularly while they're playing at Wembley in, in the Carabao Cup final. You can cut that gap once again and, you know, throw the pressure over to the to the blue side of Manchester. You mentioned as well, tie the, the sort of selection for this weekend. And you said that, you know, Daniel James played it obviously in that, that first encounter this season but got Pogba back now playing well on the left you've got Marcus Rashford who Solskjaer said today hasn't trained all week but he hopes will still be in the squad on Sunday don't really make any sense to risk him though does it what type of selection would you go for I would I mean I mentioned James there I would still be surprised if he started but you, you could probably see it I think I would go I, I'm with you. I would go Pogba on the left, Greenwood on the right, and, and Cavani through the middle. But it wouldn't be a surprise if if Rashford started. I know Cavani's the, the man of the moments at the moment and, and scored again when he came on last week. Thought it was instructive again, and you know it. Cavani's in one of those spells of form at the moment where it feels like we we can't be critical. But you know every time he doesn't play, Solskjaer very much puts that decision in in his court. And it was noticeable last week that he said he'd ask Cavani, and Cavani didn't want to start three games in a week. So there is still that concern over his fitness, and it, it's quite the contrast with Rashford, who probably shouldn't be playing yet is still playing and still starting every week, and, and is playing through the the pain barrier. And you know, fair enough, it, each individual is different, and players know best how to manage their own body. And I would have had a full week off. I'm sure Cavani would be ready to go, but Rashford seems so determined to play, and, and Solskjaer so determined to, to play him that. Even if he trains one day in four this week, it'd be no surprise if, if he does start. And I would I would I wouldn't start him, but I think he probably will start. 
Yeah, I guess that sort of sums up Solskjaer's team selections, doesn't it? That there's players who you don't think should start, but you deep down do sense do. they will. Like yeah. you, like your tyre wouldn't be surprised to see Rashford start either off through the left or through the middle at all. You know, it really does not surprise you one bit. And Solskjaer has his favourites. That that really is clear. I guess the other maybe selection dilemma. I'm not sure it really can be argued or there's one anymore though. Samuel comes in defence. Eric Bailly is back and available. He's not played since that AC Milan first leg. I mean, you could be devil's advocate and say against the pace of leads that Bayer might be a, a player to bring in, but Lindelof and Maguire does seem like the, the, the selection at the moment. But of course, you could always say Twan Zabi deserves another, another go. I'd have Twan Zabi ahead of Bayer at the moment. Bayer has been, uh, unfortunately for him, he tested positive for COVID and with his situation as it is and the, the contract wranglings that are going on with United as well, it, it doesn't look too too good for him in terms of his future and that there's a question mark over that as well because he is about to enter the last year of his contract whether he is actually kept for the start of next season United cannot justify giving him a long-term deal just you have to look at the you only have to look at his injury record to to know that they they can't fall into that trap if, if he's getting a, a three or four or five year contract then it's it's, it's crazy, really. But because of his age, I think he's only still 27. If you're giving a player a two-year contract, you are effectively telling them, we don't really fancy you, but we do want to protect you as an asset in case a club comes along and gives us 30 million quid for you. So they're caught between a rock and a hard place there. But I, I think by virtue of Tunzibi's performance against Granada in the second leg, which wasn't the most testing of games, but he needed that playing time to regain confidence after some hard knocks against against Denver Bar in, in Istanbul. Then, of course, the, the Sheffield United game, which was pretty much the momentum killer as far as United's title chances were, were, were concerned. And then I think in the Everton game, he was the one who gave away the free kit that led to the equaliser in the final minute, even though Maguire and De Gea's roles in that goal were probably... Um, you know, counted more towards Calvert-Lewin equalising. So I, I don't really see it as a dilemma at all whatsoever with with the defence and the back back four, back five picks itself. Every meaningful player uh, to Solskjaer is fit for this game. I think with Cavani, it's maybe a point of principle that even though he is in very good form at the moment and he's in such good form that with, I mean, well, a know-nothing minority of the fan base, you can't criticise him, even though he clearly isn't committed enough and he doesn't want to start every game where he could start. I think it's a point of principle that because Rashford is you know, is, is prepared to play through the pain barrier, has had a week off effectively. That, and also, he, I thought he played very well against Burnley, considering his form hadn't been very good for, for quite some time. I thought it was a pretty good outing from him that you have to look at him as maybe the, um, the go-to man for this game. But... You know, with with Solskjaer, it is it is a tricky one because Rashford normally plays from the left, but Pogba is playing so well from the left. Even against Burnley, where he was maybe a bit underwhelming, he still got the assist for for Greenwood's winning goal. And at the moment, you really wouldn't want to move him from there at the moment. So it pretty much is a straight case of Cavani or Rashford up front, and maybe that means having to crowbar Rashford on the right, unless you do go back to Daniel James, who was an inspired selection when he he came into the team for for the six two game in December. Yeah, Ty, and I guess you know, you've written a piece as well. It is a pivotal week now, United season. Three massive games all coming up in a row. But the fact that we're all basically agreeing on the, the best 11, that it really is a positive that United haven't really had this season. No, that's true. It does seem that pretty much the, the, there's a best 11 at the moment. I think that's 
that's what happens when you win five Premier League games in a row, that everyone thinks that the team is perfect. You know, there's there's still issues there within the squad going forward for the summer, but as things stand, it's it's looking pretty pretty good and, and pretty solid, I suppose. But we've seen United this season that it only takes one defeat and suddenly you look at it and think there's three holes in that team. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, one defeat over the next week could make the season a good one or a bad one, couldn't it? It's that sort of stage of the season mm. now where fans will get very reactionary to, to what, what happens. And particularly, I've talked about having off the pitch, there's maybe even more emphasis for Solskjaer to go out and make footballing headlines this weekend, which I'm sure he'll want to do. Samuel, I guess we basically know the team. What about the result? What, what do you reckon? Uh, I think United are in good enough form that they should be confident and I'm, I'm confident of predicting that they that they will win. Leeds are Leeds have come on leaps and bounds since that 6-2 game. I think it was probably the worst defensive performance I've ever seen in, in top flight football. And that's, that, that's some game when Southampton, Ipswich and Southampton again all conceded nine goals, in the, certainly in the Premier League era anyway which is pretty much within my lifetime. But Leeds were absolutely, it was just like tactical anarchy. Uh, I know there's all this reverence for, for Bielsa, the great tactician who's never won a trophy in Europe and this, that and the other. But what they're playing at in December, I've, I've absolutely no idea. United, I mean, the scoreline did flatter them. United should have easily got double figures that day. The chances they had, the openings they created, the, the ease with which they created those openings as well. They it could have been a cricket score. But Leeds have had some impressive results as well this season. I mean, it's it's bizarre to think that City only managed to score one goal against them across two games, I think it was. And of course, they, they won at City the other week so impressively. Uh, they, they got a draw, certainly earned their draw against Liverpool the other night as well. So they, they, slowly but surely, they have started to establish themselves as a as a Premier League team again, I think it's fair to say one one that doesn't look out of out of kilter with the rest of the the competition, and that they're obviously going to stay up relatively comfortably, which is probably all their supporters would have wanted at the start of the season. And it is just disappointing that this game can't be played with with supporters present. I mean, it, it is a it is a truly bilious rivalry. You you only have to read the books and read up on the colour pieces about how heated it has got how appalling it's got frankly as well uh, i mean Sir bobby charlton once had i think tea a cup of tea tossed over him at ellen road and sir alex ferguson came out with a quote once that uh, he, i think he said leeds fans uh, give us the impression that lynching is too good for us uh, that that's how i mean tribalism doesn't really quite cover it and i suppose the, the, one of the few upsides about the Super League is that it has brought supporters back to stadiums, albeit outside stadiums. So there could be a bit of an edge to the game on Sunday, given that you might get Leeds fans congregating, you might get United fans congregating, and it would be some going if the Super League brings brings United fans and Leeds fans together without them, you know, trying to turn on each other. I mean, I don't think that's probably ever happened in human history, but it it, off, it adds an edge to it and United probably need that for the running because second is assured I think City they're pretty much champions elect they're only three wins away unfortunately for United City didn't lose at Villa in midweek and I think that was probably the one where had City lost then they might have been getting a little bit anxious but I think it's fair to say that the title is all but sewn up now when second is all but sewn up for United as well so the fact that these two games against Leeds and Liverpool there is an edge going into them and there are going to be fans present at Old Trafford next week, albeit outside the stadium. It's something for everyone to appreciate, provided, of course, that um, the protests are conducted safely and you know, social, social distancing is also taken into account. 
Yeah, of course. And I guess just maybe even just for Sunday afternoon, it'd be good to focus on the football once for a change. And hopefully it can take centre stage and we can have that game, which we know it can be. And from a neutral point of view, hopefully it is a bit closer this time around. But like you said, I think United will still edge it. So, Ty, Samuel, thank you very much for joining us this week on the Manchester Israel podcast. And thank you very much for listening at home once again. As always, please do leave a like and subscribe if you haven't already. And we'll see you again next time where we'll look back on. Who knows, maybe the winner, Alan Road, and look ahead to Roma and Liverpool. Thank you very much. I'll see you again next time.